Word out of Calgary, and this is from Reliable Reports, is that Todd Reardon is one of the candidates to fill their head coaching vacancy. Now, if that happens, the first thing that's going to cross your mind is, oh, cool, someone else can run the power play. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates where you found this. Game three of the Stanley Cup final is tonight in Sunrise, Florida. That's a face-off a little bit after 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The Golden Knights, of course, have a 2-0 series lead, but I'm I am gonna just stubbornly stand by my Panthers in six pick until it's completely stuck in my face, which just might happen tonight, that the Panthers don't have any real scratch and claw left in them. I believe that they do. I believe that you're going to see a Florida four check tonight unlike anything that Vegas has experienced all season long in the much softer Western Conference. The Flames are one of those teams that haven't really had an identity since the last time Lanny McDonald was clean-shaven, which I think goes back to like the 70s or something, if then. It's not uh, particularly successful or really consistent in any regard franchise every time they get in trouble they call a sutter and that's their answer to everything oh yeah why because he's an alberta guy he's a farmer let's just get him so it should never surprise anyone when they're going through a transition period reaching out to reardon is a smart move on calgary's part he's qualified he's been a head coach In the NHL, obviously, his years in Washington, he was promoted by the Penguins to an associate coach role. Not a lot of people talk about that, but it happened about a year ago because the Penguins valued him and Mike Sullivan valued him and they wanted to make sure that they kept him and they understood that just having him be yet another assistant coach didn't distinguish him in any way that in in all candor here would allow him to get interviews for other head coaching jobs. Well, they took care of that. And the power play, the thing with which most fans probably fairly identify Reardon, it stunk. It stunk. It was lousy. It was lousy almost from start to finish. There was one month where they just totally went off. Everything was going in. And that, no coincidence, was the same month in which the Penguins were the very best team in the National Hockey League, this being in that period between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Because the only way that the Pittsburgh Penguins brand of hockey can work is if A, they turn the other cheek, and B, they get power plays, and C, yeah, you know that part, right? They have to finish them. You have to make the team pay in some form. It's to the inestimable credit of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, in particular, those two, that they were able to pile up all the points that they did because a lot of it, an inordinate amount of it, was at five on five, which should be harder. But the power play just never, never really got going after that one month. Uglier still, they looked like they lacked purpose, 
focus, design of any kind. And often, the power play that would follow them, the PP2 guys, even with Jeff Carter as part of it, would look better. And you'd say, well, why can't they just do more of that? Why don't they just be like those guys? Well, they can't be those guys. They aren't those guys. They're these other guys. So why didn't it work? Why doesn't it work? Why might it not work again? If you consider the personnel who will likely still be back in the 2023-24 season, I've got an answer, but I can tell you right now, those guys wouldn't like it. They run the show. When it comes to the power play, they run the show. I might not even mean that in a cynical way. Sullivan will openly state that those guys have these creative genes and they do certain things. And to be honest with you, when they're out there, they're just doing their thing. And we'll talk to them and we'll give them ideas and Todd will draw things up and they'll pay attention. But ultimately, it comes down to they've been in the league for a really long time and blah, 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 blah. But they don't hide this. I'm not sharing with you some real hot insider information. You watch it. You see it yourself. They talk about it. And yet, in the same breath, we'll complain about Reardon, as if he's got hardly anything at all to do with it. Reardon's involvement, if you want to describe it, is that he will study the other team's penalty killing tendencies. He will make recommendations based on those. He will point out shortcomings that the other team's goaltender, remember, always your most important penalty killer, will have. Let's say, for example, when you dump it in on this side on the power play, he's terrible at handling the puck. So dump it in on that side, go to it. He'll never he'll never beat you to it. And if he does, he's going to turn it over. Okay, good stuff. Thanks, coach. There's nothing about who goes here, who goes there, who goes where. And that's actually the problem that I can promise you right now that Sullivan won't face head on unless he is, and here I'm going to bring this up again, confronted on it from above. And that, of course, now means Kyle Dubas. Dubas is going to do this. I've heard this. Dubas, now I'm not talking about the power play specifically. Dubas is not just going to say, hey, the head coach wants it this way, so that's how it's going to be. There will be dialogue. There will be back and forth. So confront was probably not a great word on my part, unless, of course, it comes to a confront. Look at the personnel. Where does Sidney Crosby go? Where is he most effective? Well, always along the goal line, but to the side of the net. I think we can agree on that. Where would Sid be the best if somebody was just drawing up the power play from scratch? Probably a combination of there and below the goal line. What's Gino doing out at the point? I don't know. I mean, he likes it. He's gotten some results there, but he misses the net a lot. He's not the greatest at keeping the puck in the zone. And of course, he's not the guy you want coming back to try to break up some sort of shorthanded rush. Is Chris Letang the best guy for the right point? His critics will say no. His stats will support him. But, you know, you've seen what the power play looks like when Jeff Petrie's out there just gunning it and getting it through. 
And that's that's all Petrie does. That's all he did in Montreal when he was opposite Shea Weber. He was almost as good at Weber as that. That was part of the reason the Canadians made it to the, the COVID Cup final. Jake Gensel's your net front guy. It took half a season to remove Brian Rust and put Ricard Raquel on there. And even then, there seemed to be some hedging, which is nuts. Lots and lots of work. And Reardon might be the least of the issues in this. When we come back, J1Q. Today's J1Q comes from Cam who says, DK, can we talk now about what a mistake and what an albatross Jeff Petrie is and how he's the one that we would be better off unloading and what can realistically be done to fix this group of defensemen that as a group really aren't worth much. At least Brian Dumoulin's going to be gone. Cam, I'm not ready to, you know, light Petrie's career on fire here. I saw things that I liked from him. Maybe I'm biased because I covered that game in Tampa. Remember the last one that they played against the Lightning down there? He just, he owned the rink. I mean, it it looked like his days in Montreal, which were only about four years ago, where people were legitimately touting him up north for a Norris trophy. He owned the rink. Now, That also happened when Chris Letang went down with an injury earlier in that game, you might recall. But Petrie takes his spot on the top pairing, takes his spot on the top power play, scores a couple of goals, one of them just a beauty on Andre Vasilevsky, no less, and owned the rink. I mean, he he was that not good. He was great. You couldn't take your eyes off of him. Now, if you want to call this a coincidence or not, Latang comes back in the game. If memory serves, it was late in the second period or so. And Petrie goes right back to his other role, and then you didn't really notice him again. So is it Petrie's fault that he's he's cast? He, he comes with the characteristics of someone who plays that frontline role. And plays it really well. Is that his fault? Or is it Ron Hextall's for adding him to a mix that really didn't need anyone to do that so long as Latang would stay healthy? Now, now look, I'm not being a dope here. I, I get his contract is awful. It's an albatross and a half to have added to this payroll uh, in addition to his being 36 years old. Did you know that Petrie's actually going to be the Penguins' second highest paid player this coming season? Yeah, it's Sid, then Petrie. That's not good. So I'm not saying, wow, that would be awesome if they kept this guy. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I'm not ready to pronounce him as some sort of uh, broken, depreciated, beyond recognition asset the way I can with Jeff Carter and maybe even with Mikhail Granlund, though Granlund is a lot younger. I just don't see anything there. I don't see an NHL player. But with Petrie, look, I I don't believe you're going to be able to trade him. And I do believe that there's something there to be had. You might have to manage it. You might have to work with uh, defining his role in a certain way. 
where he doesn't have to be either the number one guy or not much at all. Maybe he can be a really, really solid number two if things are better defined for him. I appreciate the question. It's not an easy answer. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll do another one of these tomorrow. 